I have to admit, I thought it was going to take a little more time. I thought it was going to take another first round loss before we started hearing about a fraying relationship between Mike Babcock and Kyle Dubas. Now, this might all be much ado about nothing. And if you want to dive deeper into it, go give a listen to 31 Thoughts, the pod this week, or check out 31 Thoughts on sportsnet.ca. But I thought the Leafs were going to have to lose in the first round before anyone in the mainstream media would be talking about, is this a marriage that can last? But here we are, man. Is this just a zany week in Toronto where the team's given up too many goals in its past handful of games? Or do you think long-term there's some kind of crack in the relationship? Oh, man. I mean, okay, let's start. Everything is blown up in Toronto way bigger than it would be in any other market. And the fact that they know who they're playing in round one, that they're fading from the possibility of having home ice advantage against the Boston Bruins in the first round, you know, this is all just coming into focus. And because they've lost to Boston in the past as well, in not very good fashion a lot of the time, um, I, I just think this is it's getting in Leafs fans' heads a little bit right now. Like, oh, here we go again. Things are going to go wrong at this time of year. Because things are not going wrong for the Boston Bruins right now, who have also dealt with some injuries and really overcome them pretty well. I just think it's something to watch, right? Like, I I would be shocked if Mike Babcock does not return next season as the head coach. No matter what, lose a five game series where they look bad. They're back on, he's back on October. I I would, I would think so, but I think it is legitimate that you are starting to see some kind of difference in the way the GM and the coach want to diverging visions, right? Right. I mean, you had that fourth line of, of uh, Patan Moore and Ennis from, I think it was last week that was tried for one game against the Vancouver Canucks. And then Babcock threw it out the window. And I didn't understand why you would try that against a team like Vancouver and then never try it again. If you really wanted to give it a shot, it just seemed like it was Babcock doing something because he knew Dubas wanted to try it. And then he said, okay, well I've done it and and it didn't work and, and on we go. But that's the divide is, is, is Babcock would rather have a big body guy like Freddie Goche. And I found it interesting that he would in the post game comments say, you needed somebody to play the penalty kill and then mention Gauthier's name. And Gauthier doesn't really play the penalty kill. He's, he is the big body prototypical fourth line guy though. And Dubas wants to be, you know, he's not so mindful of the size. You can go with three smaller guys who can move around very Patan's quickly. already signed to an extension. <laughs> and that's another, and that's another, you know, thing to keep in mind as we go forward here is that Patan is going to be a part of this organization for the next couple of years. And and that's just a fact. I think Trevor Moore has played his way onto this line too. You're quickly running out of places to play these players and also fit in a guy like Gauthier. So, I mean, you're going to find out a lot in the playoffs, I think, of, of course. And if, if Gauthier is forced into this lineup and Boston gets, or Toronto gets swept or they're out in five games, then this discussion becomes a little bit more heated, I think in the summertime, but you know, it's just these lobs. It, it, it's how do you, how do you perceive Dubas's and Babcock's comments that seem to be directed towards each other in the media over the last little while? Babcock saying, you know, it's all about the kinds of players that you have. You need to have the depth in the organization. Other teams have dealt better with injuries than we have. And, and Dubas, you know, saying kind of the opposite kind of things. And it's true that other teams like Boston have dealt with injuries far better than Toronto has. But I think it's easy to forget that just three years ago, the Leafs were a total loss cause, the worst team in the NHL. And they're not Vegas where they're starting with nothing and building an organization out, but they're starting from 
bare bones, right? Like they got Austin Matthews and that put them back on the map. And they have some pretty good up and comers like Andreas Janssen, who was picked in the draft seventh round a couple of years ago, but really building an organization out from top to bottom is going to take longer than just three years for that prospect base to really grow and grow. And we're past the point now where you're winning in the years where Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are on their cheapest deals, right? You're getting into their full contract starting next season. So you can't really worry about that too much. Now it really is about building through the draft at this point and finding value. And it's going to take a little bit of time before you can fill out your lineup as successfully as a team like Boston has, who has been challenging for cups and been a top team for a heck of a lot longer. If you had said to a Leaf fan three years ago, you'll be making the playoffs in 2019, there would have been high fives all over the place, right? We all remember five five years of pain. (laughs) We are going to put the focus. So on this pod here on tape to tape on the Atlantic division, I think we have to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. We haven't done nearly enough of that on this podcast. To help us with that, we're going to bring Eric Erlinson on. He is the man who runs lightninginsider.com. He's been following the Bolts on the ground for many, many years. What a thing they've got going on in Tampa. We're also going to talk about that team Rory's referenced a couple times. The Boston Bruins, man, have they had a strong month, month and a half here, but haven't been able to make up any ground. And I'm going to do some deep diving on the record of Tampa, the record of Boston and how crazy it is that Tampa continues to pull away. Might as well get my shout out to hockey reference right now. I cannot imagine doing this job without you hockey reference. We'll talk about the Habs a little as well as they're still a playoff relevant team. And before we turn the page and bring in Eric, I think I'd just like to spend a couple minutes on what are the irrelevant teams right now in the Atlantic division? Because none of them are going to make the playoffs, but still worth spending a minute or two on as we kind of look at their long-term prospects. Uh, we'll save Panthers corner for the very end. And you can let us know what you think is up there, but Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa. Uh, I mean, Buffalo most interesting because it had, uh, you know, for half the year, it looked like Buffalo might actually be able to get into the playoffs and it just kind of faded since, Uh, really since February, but even going back to the 10-game winning streak that had seven overtime or uh, shootout victories in it, you know, still clearly a work in progress in Buffalo. Detroit, seriously long-term project there as well. And Ottawa, I mean, I think the thing with Ottawa is people keep saying, you know, if it wasn't for Melnick, you'd kind of be looking at this team going, well, give it some time, but it kind of has that dark cloud hanging over it. What jumps out to you about those three teams and where they may be headed in the near to slightly longer term future. I think Buffalo is the more interesting one because it really did look like they might be taking a turn for the better this year when they were going on that 10 game winning streak. Then the, the moment that ended in a loss to Tampa Bay at the end of November, since then Buffalo is 14, 27, and 7, which is 30th in the NHL, just two points ahead of the Ottawa Senators. So that's that's exactly where the Buffalo Sabres have always been, yeah. right? And in, in terms of offense, like this this is the only team in the NHL that has two uh, sub-200 goal seasons over the last five. They're the worst offensive team over the last five seasons. And again, since that winning streak ended, they've scored 121 goals in 48 games which is 28th in the league just ahead of Anaheim Dallas and the Los Angeles Kings so i mean it, it, under all of this is lost the star of Jack Eichel who is just an incredible talent and really 
was the reason why Jeff Skinner was scoring as many goals as he was early in the season. Uh, when Eichel left the lineup for a two-game suspension, I mean, Buffalo was just a complete disaster. Jeff Skinner, his goals have completely dried up here, right? And now it's now you're looking at it and you're wondering, man, they maybe should have traded him at the deadline for something because it's probably... I don't know if it makes sense to, to re-sign the guy because it's going to cost between, I don't know, $7, 8000000 million? Uh, maybe at 7 you think about it now, but yes. It, I feel like the figure 9 was thrown around there yeah, when things were going that well. that seems excessive. I mean, Evander Kane, James Van Riemsdyk, $7.5 million, I, I believe, for both of them. Maybe Van Riemsdyk was 7 last year. That was the going rate for a, a scoring winger, and, and it's hard to see Skinner getting that because he needed... He needed the center so badly to drive him, and that's a lot of money to give up to a purely complimentary player who vanishes when your center vanishes too. And and so Buffalo, you know, they just lost Robin Lehner on the free agent market too, and he's having an excellent season in New York, which makes me think, you know, there's something wrong with the system there. Uh, in Buffalo, Phil Housley has not been able to get this team to take a step forward at all. And, and you know, you think back to just, again, three years when the Leafs were at the bottom of, of the league and Buffalo was at the bottom of the league. These teams, their rebuilds were kind of looked at as being on a similar Somewhat path. parallel, yeah. And they might kind of rise at the same time. And while Toronto has done that very successfully, Buffalo's just spinning their tires. And I don't really know what the clear path forward is here. I mean, you have Alex Nylander making his way into this lineup, and he scored against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he hasn't got to the NHL as quickly as, as a lot of people expected when he got picked eighth overall. Casey Middlestat needed to be that num- number two center this year to provide some secondary scoring and it hasn't really happened for him either yet. So there, there just seem to be a ton of holes still within this lineup. And right now they don't look like a team, especially if they lose Jeff Skinner in the off season, that's going to take even a step forward next season. And then you wonder about, well, what's the future for Jason Botter? What's the future for Phil Housley? Do we tear this whole thing down again? You know, Michael is just starting a brand new contract and he's there for a long time. So at least you have that in place. At least you have Rasmus Dahlin in place. Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, it is super thin within that organization. Well, I think we can agree it's going to be long, long, long term project in Ottawa and Detroit. But Florida is a team that, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, but it, it feels like could bounce back quick. What's your yeah. uh, one minute take on on the Panthers who haven't had the second half like they did last year, but have certainly looked at least better. Yeah. I think they're just missing a goalie. Really? That's it. Mike Hoppin has been having a great season on the third line for the most part as a goal scorer. And I would take that opportunity to sell him high right now and probably do it for defensemen. I've said if they can get like Tyson Berry out of Colorado, both of them will be on expiring contracts next year. That's the, that's the exact kind of defenseman that they need. But more importantly, they need to, sign Sergei Bobrovsky or trade for Jonathan Quick, somebody who's going to come in and stabilize that goaltending situation. Samuel Montembeau has made a nice little run here at the end of the season. He's not a starter next season by any measure, but he's making a case to be a number three, which puts James Reimer on the clock. And you wonder if it makes him more likely to be a buyout candidate behind all this. You you're really not certain about the future of Roberto Luongo. He's still got uh, four years left on his contract, but he's going to be making, you know, somewhere around a million dollars next year. Um, He's always a candidate to retire. If he does it by injury, you know, that's the kind of retirements we've seen before from guys like 
Chris Pronger, who Marion Hosa, they, they retire and then they don't leave a cap penalty. If Roberto Luongo retires, he leaves the Vancouver Canucks, the signing team for that contract with a massive cap penalty. And that's something to watch as we go forward here. I think he's going to be back. He's talked about wanting to play to the end of I, his contract. I see him playing 28 games next year yeah. and playing very well. And that's it. Like he, he's, he's, he would rather be a number one, but he seems okay with being a backup that gets that many it's tough games. at 40 to demand as the number one winning. job as long as you're winning yeah he wants to win the stanley cup right and he hasn't he hasn't done that yet and it's got to come before he and, retires and he here. wants to win it there i think i think he would want to win it there he's he's very attached to the community as we saw all saw this season and he would be a pretty good he, he's been great until this season yeah. so to have him as a backup for 30 games or to step in if bobrovsky or whoever the number one is is going through a, a bad spell you're, you're not that bad off but you can't be paying james reimer three plus million dollars also so i think montembeau then becomes the number two and then you buy out reimer all right that's the story at the bottom of the atlantic let's rise up to the top to the penthouse where the tampa bay lightning have not only punched their ticket to the stanley cup playoffs but have really made you call into question the idea that anyone can win the stanley cup because (laughs) betting against tampa right now kind of feels like an overthink they have got all areas covered to dive a little deeper on the team, we're going to bring in Eric Erlinson, talking bolts when tape to tape returns on the other side of the break. The tape to tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six function multi pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey. Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags, the tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali, we are professional grade. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Let's not waste any time here. On the line, joining us now, he is the man who runs lightninginsider.com. It is Eric Erlinson. Eric, how you doing? I'm good, gentlemen. What's going on today? Well, a lot of Atlantic Division talk, and as you can imagine, it has to include a huge dose of Tampa Bay Lightning. We know this team can overwhelm you with offense, We also know they have Victor Hedman recently voted the best two-way defenseman in the league and the current Norris Trophy winner uh, by the NHLPA, maybe the best goalie in the world with Andre Vasilevsky. So I'd like to think they can beat you with defense as well. The question is, how the heck can anybody actually beat this team? Well, you know, I've been saying it since about December that on most nights, the only team that can beat the Tampa Bay Lightning are the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's when they get into issues with puck management and, you know, sometimes they tend to get too cute a little bit and they tend to overpass or they tend to get too confident in some of the plays that they try and create, uh, even even on their breakouts, trying to get out of the zone. Um, there's not a lot of weaknesses on this team. There's not a lot of areas that you can exploit. And as long as they remain healthy and somewhere somebody in the organization is knocking on wood right now, that they're hard to beat. They're, they got depth among the forward group. They got depth among the back end. Uh, they have Victor Head and they have Ryan McDonough. I mean, to pick up a Ryan McDonough, at the trade deadline last year, uh, has paid off in, in spades this year. He's been fantastic 
on that left-hand side on, on that second pairing, mainly with Eric Chernak down the, the second half of the season. Uh, so they're, they're difficult to beat because any type of game you want to get into with them, they can find ways to beat you. You want to get in a wide-open game where they got the offense and the speed and the skill to keep pace. You want to slow the game down, they can grind it out with you as well. So uh, just not a lot of areas that teams can kind of attack uh, the Lightning. Well, interesting you say that because um, this week, Elliot Friedman referenced in his 31 thoughts uh, an opposing player saying the difference between this year and last year is the Lightning check really hard. Have you noticed a, a sort of top-to-bottom commitment to more checking and, and defensive play throughout the lineup this year? Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and this is a team, we don't think of Tampa Bay as a physical team, and, and they're more, they are built on size and speed uh, and skill. That's kind of their strengths. But they're, I think they're fifth or sixth in the league in hits, and that's where they've been throughout most of the season. You know, Cedric Paquette, I think, is the top five in hits. So they've definitely made a concentrated effort to include that into their game plan this year is to be a team that finishes checks and, and make sure that they're putting bodies on bodies and, you know, they're being a little bit harder to play against in some of those areas because you go back to game six and seven of the conference finals last year, that was kind of a knock on them. Washington turned it up. Devontae Smith-Pelly and Alex Ovechkin and Tom Wilson, of course, you know, really kind of started to, to take runs at guys. And I don't mean in a bad way. I, I mean, they, they made sure that checks were being finished hard uh, in that series, especially in those final two games. So that was an area they knew they had to be better at, and they've done it this year, and, and they are a team. We saw uh, last week in the first rematch between Washington and Tampa Bay since that conference finals that once Washington decided they wanted to play a physical game, the Lightning answered, and they answered it strong. And I think that was a strong message and a strong indication that this team, once you get into the postseason, you're probably not going to have a, as much luck pushing them around as maybe the, the Capitals did last year. I kind of wanted to get into this size thing because – we're in Toronto, and at the trade deadline, it was kind of looked at like Toronto needs to get bigger to match up against Boston's heavy hockey. But then the counter was always usually, well, look at Tampa Bay. Like, they get by without much size and everything like that. But their blue line is massive. Um, like you yep. say, they, they've been trying to play with this more, a bit more of a heavy hockey style. And I think, too, if you look at their forwards, you know, you, you you were talking about guys like JT Miller, who you talked about they traded for last year. He's got a little bit of size. Paquette, Alex Killorn. Like, is this has this been an organizational attempt over the last, I don't know, two or three years to try and add a little bit more size to the forward core as, as well as the blue line? I don't know if it's been a conscious thing. I, I think maybe in the acquisition of JT Miller, uh, it has been. Uh, but, but even if you look at, at their prospects, you know, their prospects still sort of fit the same mold you know they're they're the 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 undersized high-end skill hockey iq kind of guys and you know so i I, the back end is big you get headman six six you got eric chernak has been a big difference this year he's he's a massive man at six four about 220 pounds at the age of 22 uh he's made a big difference back there Uh, but the forward group for the most part i mean kalorn's been there you know now for a number of years and um, you know, but but they bring in a Yanni Gord, and he's what five foot nine if he's on his skates, and uh, you know, so they don't. I don't think they have a lot of size up front. What what I think they've done, uh, and I don't think it's size. And you know, we heard this argument leading the trade deadline for the Lightning too. Well, do they need to get bigger? Do they need to acquire a guy like Wayne Simmons? But what they've done is they've utilized. I mean, Anthony Sorelli is one hell of a checker. He will he will push you right. He's not a big guy. He's about six one. He's about one hundred and eighty pounds, so he's not really big. But he forechecks with tenacity, and that's an area that makes them hard to play against. Braden Point's the same way. Watch Braden Point go into a corner. 
He's five foot ten. That's where they they don't have the size, but they make up for it in their willingness to battle and compete along the boards. That's where I think this team has kind of made up for maybe their lack of size. Looking at Tampa Bay's road through the Eastern Conference, everybody who is going to or could make it to the Eastern Conference playoffs, who is the toughest matchup for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Is it Washington, who they've had a couple of really great games against? Is it Boston, who could play a really tough checking game? Is it somebody else? Who is the worst team for Tampa Bay to match up at some point through their playoff run? If we're talking through the entire roadmap of the East, it's probably got to be Washington. Um, you know, that's a team that knocked them off last year, uh, much as maybe in some ways, not to the same extent, but, you know, as, as Pittsburgh's kind of been that team for uh, the Capitals, I think right now the Capitals are that team for the Lightning. And, and if you look at a game, even, you know, when they matched up earlier this week, that, uh, you know, Washington had 58 shots on goal. And, and it's, it's a situation where when they turn it up and they start to uh, have puck possession, they can be something for Tampa Bay to handle it. And not many teams have been able to do what the Capitals have done to the Lightning this year. Uh, so to me, that's the team that uh, you would have to worry about if they matched up against. But if they matched up against them, that means they're back in the conference finals. I think that's a spot where I think both teams would be happy. Well, you mentioned, Eric, obviously it was a gut-wrenching loss for Tampa last year, not scoring a goal in game six or seven in consecutive losses to Washington. You, you go back to 2015, they played a tooth-and-nail final with the Chicago Blackhawks end up on the wrong side of a six game series and another game seven conference final in game, excuse me, in 2016 versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. Do you get a sense of there being a not this time vibe with the team and that they are propelled by this notion that they want to put to rest any idea that they can't finish the job? Yeah. Every one of those series that you just mentioned left scars and they're, they're reminders for this team and, from the moment they stepped on the ice for training camp, you know, a lot of times it, it's lifters from the players. Oh, this is what we want to do. This is what we need to do. I take it at their word this year. I, there's just a different focus about this team with this group, especially since you have to factor in that a lot of these players that have been together really since going back to 2014 when they got swept by the Canadians in the first round. A lot of these players have been together through all of those battles and all those losses and all those disappointments. This is probably the last kick of the can with this group. There'll be some changes this summer because of salary cap situations with this team. So there is a mission. There's a, there's a mission in their, in their focus this year, and, and that's why they've been so consistent. They don't want to get ahead of themselves. They're not looking down the road. They're not trying to say, oh, we've got to get back to the conference finals and finish the job this time in the Stanley Cup final. They literally take everything on a day-to-day basis, and again, a lot of times that's lip service, but in this case, it's not. You know, we'll ask the coaches, well, have you thought about playoff parents? Nope, we're worried about tomorrow night's game. Well, have you thought about, nope, we're worried about tomorrow night's game. And their singular focus has always been, really since training camp, what are we doing today so that we can get better for tomorrow? And that's been a big reason why they've been able to put this historic-type season together, putting themselves in some company with some very uh, historic and some of the great regular season teams in NHL history, because they don't. They stay in their lane. They have tunnel vision. They don't let outside noise distract them from what they're doing. And that's something that they want to make sure that's still with them once they get to April 10th. 797 points percentage for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, <laughs> might just be the regular season, but let's just take a moment to, to pause on that. Pretty impressive. Eric, thanks so much for uh, bringing us up to speed on the Lightning. And, uh, yeah, certainly a team many of us will be keeping a close eye on come April. All right, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for the time.
There he is. That is Eric Erdlinson, the man behind lightninginsider.com. Rory, we didn't even get to how this team was built. We could probably spend an hour on the late round picks, the undrafted free agents. I mean, it's just stunning going up and down the lineup. I'm working on a piece that'll run probably early on in the playoffs, uh, sort of about, you know, how goal scoring is up, but through the lens of the lightning and some of the things they've done, but really their ability to find and develop players. No team is even close to Tampa when it comes to finding and developing and working in top end, mid range and lower end players. Yeah. Huge difference. And I I find it super interesting that they're chasing that 1995, 96 Detroit Red Wings wins record of 62. They can still get to 63 and they're still chasing the all time points record too, held by the 76, 77 Montreal Canadians. But Tampa Bay was built in a lot of the same way that that Detroit team was in finding those gems and then doing it for such a prolonged period too. Detroit had that great season, but then they were very good for, for many years after that too. And won a, a couple of Stanley cups and that it was Steve Eiserman who built this team after being a guy who was drafted high by Detroit, having to change the way he played as a player, and then having this great organization kind of built around him. Very patiently, they were put together. You know, the, their players many, spent a lot many of years struggles. Lo, lo, yeah, and for yep. the team, similar to Tampa, right? Like great struggles. teams that couldn't win it until they won it. Exactly. And, I mean, even that Detroit team, I mean, they won that President's Trophy, and then they didn't win That's the Stanley right. Cup that year. They got to the conference final and lost to Colorado. But then they won the Stanley Cup the year after that. So maybe it's not exactly the same path. Maybe Tampa Bay does win the Cup this year after winning the President's Trophy because last year was the year that was their disappointment. You know, they missed the playoffs a couple of years ago completely, and and that was a shock to everybody. But, you know, there's just so much. I mean, now the next guy on the radar, you got Matthew Joseph, who was doing really well in goals per 60 minutes played. Danek Martell was this guy who was let go by, uh, I think it was Philadelphia, but he had good numbers, good underlying numbers and good numbers at, at lower levels too. Maybe he's a guy who's going to figure more prominently into this team in the, in the coming seasons. But the difference between Tampa Bay and organizations like the Edmonton Oilers, Buffalo Sabres, they find guys super late in the draft or they sign guys out of college or drafted players who weren't signed, whatever it is, they find these diamonds in the rough and then they blow up with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it's why they didn't have to add anybody at the trade deadline. That's the other thing. If Tampa Bay goes on and wins the Stanley Cup, they'll be the first team in the cap era to do nothing in dra- in uh, deadline season, trade deadline season. And it's because look at the lineup. There's nothing that they could have done that would have improved this team. Well, realistically, the first big domino in Tampa's path could be the Boston Bruins. That would be a second round matchup. We're going to talk about what the Bruins have done right and why they probably should be nipping at the heels of a division leader, except they're not because Tampa Bay's running away with the thing, but it's certainly not for lack of trying and for some great results from the Bruins. We're going to talk Bruins and also some Habs as we close out our discussion of the Atlantic division. The final segment of Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, 
including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all of your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Roy, before we dive too much into the Bruins, can we just agree that Brad Marchand's Twitter feed is must-follow yes. material? Yes, He's really stuff. having fun. Whatever he says on the ice, I feel like it's he brings that same presence to his Twitter account. Yes, probably slightly cleaner language, keeps it sure. fairly uh, sure. a little more family fun <laughs> on Twitter. But uh, yeah, he uh, he definitely gets the spirit of uh, social media and engaging with your audience. Man, the Bruins, I have to admit, I actually thought, I never doubted the Bruins were a good team. And, you know, last year they... I mean, they were kind of, I don't even know if you call them a dark horse pick. A lot of people had them circled to maybe go to the final. I thought this year they might be a team that ended up third, maybe even in a wild card, because they were kind of trending that way for two-thirds of the season. But, you know, upon being in the playoffs would be a team to watch. But, man, they have really put their foot to the floor in the past month or so. The problem is it's been extremely difficult to make up ground on the Tampa Bay Lightning. On February 9th, Boston woke up 16 points behind Tampa Bay um, and they had 66 points at that point. P.S. Montreal, who we're also going to talk about, had 68 points. They were two up on the Bruins at that point uh, a little more than a month ago. Since then, since Feb 9, Boston has gone 15, 3, and 1, but... They remain way back, 21 points to be specific, of Tampa Bay because Tampa's gone 18-2 and two, uh, since that time. Nonetheless, very impressive work from the Bruins. What have you seen from this team that will once again have people believing they could represent the East in the final? Well, those three losses you talked about, regulation losses, came right in a row after finishing a 19-game point streak, right? So that's one reason why you can you can feel good about picking the Bruins because they can go on seriously long, long runs of success. Um, and the, I think the most amazing thing about that run is that a lot of it was done without David Pasternak in the lineup. He's, he's since returned. But, you know, just as we were talking about with Toronto and being able to find players to move up the lineup and, and play productively when injuries hit, look at some of these scorers. Uh, when Pasternak was out of the lineup. You have David Krejci, 20 points in 18 games without Pasternak. And he he is a name, but he's someone who's kind of fallen off yes. a little bit recently. So the fact that he's now back up being as productive as he is as a second-line center is huge for huge. the Bruins. You know, Jake DeBrusque had a really good rookie season, finished in the 40s, I believe, in points last year, and, and he's having another strong season. But 16 points, 9 goals and 16 points in 13 games that he played while Pasternak was out of the lineup. Another guy who stepped up big. Danton Heinen came from absolutely nowhere when he arrived into the NHL. 14 points in 18 games. And how about Chris Wagner, who's been 
uh, to a bunch of teams over the last couple of years, and he hasn't had a great season overall or anything like that. But when you get him scoring six goals in 18 games and Pasternak is out of the lineup, I mean, that's another great example of somebody who you would never expect or, or peg to come on and, and play a significant role when somebody goes down to injury, he's been a a very productive, good player for them. And behind all this, they just play strong defensively. They have great special teams. They're, they're top 10 in both power play and penalty kill efficiency. And the fact that Tuka Rask, I, I feel like every year starts the same where he doesn't play that well. Bruins fans get on. I'm wondering what the heck's going on with their goaltending. If they have to find somebody else or whatever. And, and then since the calendar flips, Tuka Rask has a 921 save percentage, a 215 GAA, and that ranks right with some of the best goalies in the league. So there's just not really a huge weakness. You know, they've been without Tori Krug. They've been without Zidane Chara, They've been without Charlie McAvoy for times throughout the season, and it doesn't really seem to slow them down much, if at all. So the Bruins seem better capable to deal with injuries than a lot of teams, and that's a huge factor, as we know, come playoff time the difference between the top scoring team in the NHL and goals for per game average and the second highest scoring team in the NHL in the salary cap era, the, the largest difference between first and second was the uh, 2011 Washington Capitals who were just historically great uh, offense. This year's Tampa Bay Lightning have the second biggest difference, and, and and it is a pretty substantial difference of .28 goals per game difference, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is over a full season. Um What's interesting about those Capitals is they got kicked out of the playoffs by Yaroslav Halak and the Montreal Canadiens. So all it does take is a is a hot goalie to beat one of these teams. But that's really what Montreal needs. Their power plays, we know, has been Oof. atrocious all season long. So that's not going to do them any favors. But what their strength was for much of the season was their five on five, their even strength scoring. And even that has taken a bit of a tumble down towards the middle of the pack, bottom half of the league. So it just doesn't seem like they're going to have the offense to keep up with whatever Tampa Bay is going to be able to throw at them. We'll close it out on this. If the Canadians do in fact miss the playoffs, they're going to look back and rue the result of three games. Uh, February, excuse me, February 23rd, the three, nothing lead. They blew in Toronto. They go out on the West Coast the following week or a couple weeks later, March 7th or in San Jose where they haven't won in literally 20 years. It's the last time in the season it seems reasonable to start anti Niemi. The Canadians come out flying and he gives up not one but two goals that mm-hmm. it looks like a peewee player would stop and yep. boom, they lose in a place where they've done nothing but losing for 20 years and finally looked well positioned to get a win. And then just last week they had the the game you need from your goalie when you're in a fight like this from Carey Price where there was no reason for them to be in the game at the Islanders in uh, at Nassau. But there they were, 1-1 with three minutes left, and boom, they go down on a rush, and the puck comes back to the blue line, and Brett Kulak and Max Domi basically collide, and a 2-on-1 the other way, and it's curtain. So when you come up with zero out of six points in games like that, that's the kind of stuff you're going to look back yep. at and... And do some face palming. We'll see. Maybe they can yet right the ship and and make it into the postseason dance. Well, that's it for an extreme close-up, as Mike Myers would say in Wayne's World, of the Atlantic Division and the team that's running away with it, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Make sure you are checking out what's happening on the Tape to Tape podcast at sportsnet.ca. You can always follow Rory on Twitter at Rory Boylan. 
myself at Dixon on Sports. Subscribe to the pod in iTunes. Check back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape. He's wheeling, he's wheeling. Whoa, he shoots, he scores.